Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. There's a a controversy over some terms here in, in verse 17. Uh, about heirs and joint heirs. Now the question is, is every believer a joint heir with Christ? Okay? Now the question comes up because, I mean, clearly every believer is a child of God, right? And every believer is an heir of God. But you see at the end of verse 17, it says, if so be that we suffer with him. And so is that a, is that a condition on being a joint heir? Or is that uh, just a, you know, I guess a statement of the what the state of a of a joint heir is? So the questions you would you would need to look at to answer that question. I mean, one thing you'd need to look at is is an heir the same thing as a joint heir, right? That would be one thing to look at. What does it mean to suffer? What kind of suffering is it talking about? What he says in in verse five is he says they that are after the flesh. Do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, when he says we walk after that, if you're walking after something, it means you're, you're following it, right? You're pursuing it. Um, try, a lot of what Paul talks about here when it comes to sanctification is to take the focus off of the flesh. Now, a lot of times what we think of as sanctification is we think of, let me put the focus on my flesh, identify all the areas of sin in my life, and then try harder not to sin. Alright? That's, you're trying to somehow defeat flesh with flesh. And, uh, and what he says here is he says, don't walk after the flesh, don't pursue after somehow perfecting your flesh, instead walk after the Spirit. You pursue after the Spirit of God, follow the Spirit of God's leading, you take the flesh out of the equation. Alright? 
If we're after the flesh, if we're putting all the focus on my flesh and what my flesh is doing and what my flesh isn't doing, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about flesh. I'm minding the things of the flesh. I'm putting the focus on myself, really. You know, even if it's in a negative sense, I'm, I'm putting the focus on myself. So he says, those that are after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. That's where their mind is. Their mind is, is in those fleshly things. But he says, they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, where do you find the things of the Spirit? Right. You don't find the things of the Spirit by looking inward. You don't find the things of the Spirit just, you know, looking outward at the world. The things of the Spirit, you find in the Word of God. Okay? And, and so, again, as you take in that Word of God, there's, a, there's an effect that takes place in your life where that Word transforms you in a way that you can't do through your effort. And, and so he says, They that are after the Spirit, they mind the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, For to be carnally minded, the word carnal means fleshly, to be carnally, fleshly minded is death. Be carnally minded is death. Now, don't, don't think here that when he's talking about death, uh, that he's talking about losing salvation. That's, you understand, that's not possible because salvation is not based on what you do, salvation, and once you've received it, salvation is secure. So this isn't talking about spiritual death or, or, you know, dying, like losing your salvation or dying physically. Um, I mean, certainly physical death is a result of a, of the carnal mind, you know, in a sense as well. But what he's really talking about here is a, we could call it a functional death. Um, let me find a cross reference here. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, now Paul's giving some instruction here regarding the church supporting widows and you know which widows to support, which widows not to support. All right, uh, he he says, uh, for instance, verse three says, "Honor widows that are widows indeed, but if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God." Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Now all of this is the context of the church. He's not talking about a, a lost person. He's talking about a saved person, a, a, a widow here in this case, who instead of doing what he says there about the widow who trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. This is a, a, a widow who's just going to go out and live in pleasure. And he says she's dead while she liveth. What does he mean? It, what he means is she's dead in the sense that she's not, she's not living the life of Christ. Right? The life of Christ is not evident in her. She's living a worldly lifestyle. And that's why he recommends, if you keep reading the passage, that um, you know the church relieve older widows, but he recommends for younger widows that they remarry. You see that term dead? He says she's dead while she liveth. It's talking about kind of a, a functional death. You can have spiritual life in the sense of being saved, and yet your your life can look just like the dead world around you. Okay? And so he says, so if we go back to our text, Romans 8, he says that to be carnally minded is death. There's no life in it. You aren't going to experience the life of Christ if you're just putting the focus on your flesh all the time. Your flesh is good or your flesh is bad or whatever. 
But he says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Okay, so you see how he's setting up these contrasts here, right? You've got, you've got uh, those that are after the flesh, those that are after the spirit. They mind the things of the flesh, mind the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. And verse 7 says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so that the, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. All right. So the carnal mind is enmity. It's it's uh, you know in rebellion to God. The carnal mind is again even even if that carnal mind is that I'm going to make myself better, I'm going to keep the law, I'm going to do these things. It results in enmity against God. Uh, one of the ways. I mean, certainly, you know, again, you understand living in wickedness is enmity against God, right? We understand that, but again, the reality is uh, a lot of times what we fail to consider is that just living in the efforts of my flesh to do good is enmity against God as well. It's enmity against God because God says you can't do it, right? There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Uh, it's enmity because God says that, that, you know, there's nobody that keeps his law. So if you're claiming you can keep God's law or you can uh, work yourself to a to a you know a state of goodness like that, you're saying God's a liar. It's enmity against God. It's a, a denial of what what God says about who you are and what your abilities are. And you know you have to be careful in the Bible when the Bible uses similar but different terms. All right. Because there are sometimes where the Bible uses similar terms and there are different ways to say the same thing. And there's other times where the Bible will use similar terms and they mean completely different things. Here, here in this passage, you see so far it's been talking about those that are after the Spirit and those that are after the flesh. Somebody's following after something. But in, in verse 8, it uses a similar but different term. Right? So verse 8 says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. He doesn't say those that are after the flesh. He says they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And he, he helps define the term for you in verse 9. It's important not to just assume things about biblical terms. It's important to let the Bible define itself for you. All right? And the definition in verse 9, he gives, this would be kind of a negative definition. He tells you what being in the flesh is not. He says, ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Okay, so let's work our way backwards through this. Um, if somebody doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, uh, are they a, a believer or an unbeliever? They're an unbeliever because they're none of His. All right. Is there any believer that does not have the Spirit of Christ? All believers have the Spirit of Christ. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in you and you are not your own. Right? Every believer has the Spirit of Christ. Okay? Now... Is every believer walking after the Spirit of Christ? No, because Paul's warning them they can walk after the Spirit or walk after the flesh. But when you look at the, the uh, definitions there, 
It says, ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. How many believers does the Spirit of God dwell in? All. Are any believers in the flesh? Not in the context of this passage. Because he says, ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. The Spirit of God dwells in every believer, so no believer is in the flesh. You see how those two terms, after the flesh and in the flesh, they're similar, but they're different. A believer can walk after the flesh, but a believer is not in the flesh in the sense that this passage is talking about. Now, I'll warn you that there are other passages where the term in the flesh is used to just mean existing in this body of flesh, right? Which would be true of believers, but not in this passage. He says, you're not in the flesh, if the Spirit dwells in you, and the Spirit dwells in all believers, and if the Spirit isn't in somebody, then they're none of His. So in this passage, the only way you can be in the flesh is if you don't belong to Christ, if you're none of His. Does that, does that make sense? Follow me there? Okay. Um, so, verse 10, it's important to, a passage like this, it's important to approach it like this and and, and go through it term by term because there's a lot of these ifs. So it'll say something about this, and if that, then this, and if that, then this, and if that, we can conclude this. So you got to follow the you got to follow the logic along. Uh, otherwise, you get to the end and you you draw some conclusion that's based on you know you didn't you didn't follow the follow all the logic. So verse ten says, "If Christ be in you." Now, how many believers is Christ in? All. Okay, so this is going to be a statement about all believers. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. Your body, you know, your body's physically alive, but your body's dead. It's been, it's been ruled by God. There's no, there's no life in it. Okay? If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Again, the Holy Spirit that dwells in every believer. So if the body's dead because of sin, you know, when you were made alive in Christ, when you believed the gospel, your physical body, your flesh, is just as dead as it ever was in the spiritual sense. He says, your body is dead because of sin. So how could you ever, through your flesh, live the Christian life when it's dead? Your, your physical body is just as dead as a lost person is spiritually dead. You have no more ability in your flesh to to perfect yourself or, or uh, make yourself better than the lost person does. But what's different is you as a believer have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. So if my, if my body's unable, my body is, is this dead flesh, why would I want to be carnally minded and put the focus on my body? I want to put the focus on that spirit that is life. So, verse 11, here's another if. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Now, how many believers does that spirit dwell in? All. So here's a statement about all believers. If that spirit dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, you notice that that is in the future tense. He shall quicken, make alive your mortal body. At what point does that happen? 
at the rapture, right? How many, how many believers have the Spirit of God dwelling in them? All. How many believers will be made alive at the rapture? All, right? So if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Verse 12, therefore, so now we're reaching a conclusion. We've had all these ifs. We've had this logical chain here. We've seen some statements about uh, some believers, right? I mean, some believers walk after the flesh, some walk after the Spirit. But no believers are in the flesh. All believers are in the Spirit. Which, you know, you hear people use those terms sometimes, and they'll say, oh, I was, I was in the Spirit the other day. And people mean different things by that. Uh, the Pentecostals mean they were speaking in tongues. They were in the Spirit. Uh, some people mean, oh, I just, I just, you know, I was reading God's Word and praying and, and felt close to God and I was in the Spirit. In these verses, who, who's in the Spirit? Or how often is the believer in the Spirit? Whenever the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, which is all the time. Okay? Every believer is in the Spirit all the time. No believer is ever in the flesh, but we walk after the Spirit sometimes and we walk after the flesh sometimes. Okay? But here's, so here's the conclusion in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Our flesh is dead. The Holy Spirit that dwells in us is life. We're not in the flesh. We're in the Spirit. You don't have to live after the flesh. Now, we often do, don't we? But there's no situation where we can say, I just didn't have a choice. I had to live after the flesh. Uh, you know, some people view the grace of God as if it's something that, that gives you an excuse to sin. But grace takes away all your excuses to sin. Grace says, now I've made you something different in Christ where you don't have to sin anymore. There's no situation where as a believer we have to sin. Uh, what, is, what does the scripture say about temptation? It says that God will make with the temptation a, a way of escape. Um, there's no situation where we have to sin. We can never use grace as an excuse and, and say, well, uh, it was just my flesh and my flesh didn't have any, any choice. If you're doing that, you're living after the flesh, right? You're putting the focus on, on your flesh. If you're living after the Spirit, you, you don't have to sin. Now, again, we, we, uh, I mean, hopefully, as time goes on and we grow in God's Word, we live after the Spirit more and after the flesh less and it results in us sinning less. Okay, But you see, he says, we're not a debtor to live after the flesh. We're not a debtor to sin, and we're not a debtor to make our flesh better. Because you can't, because it's dead. We're debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Now, this is the same kind of death he was talking about earlier, that functional death. If you're, if you're putting the focus on your flesh you're not going to exhibit the life of Christ. You're going to be dead while you live. If we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So now, finally, he's talked about some deeds of the body. And he says the way to, the way to get rid of those deeds of the body is not to put the focus on your flesh and to try and make your flesh better and through your flesh try to stop your flesh from doing those things. He says that... that uh, if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body. To put to, mortify means to put to death. God has said your body's dead. He's saying if you, through the Spirit, choose to, to 
reckon what God says is true and that your body is dead and that you, you're, you know, your body can't do any good anyway, um, or your flesh can't do any good anyway, just put it to death, that's where you're going to live. And, you know, the Bible is filled with statements like this that to, to the rational mind don't make any sense. I mean, how could you live by putting yourself to death? It's a, it's a paradox. It's, how does that make sense? But it's because of, of just the nature of the flesh and the spirit and the, and the conflict between them. Uh, your flesh cannot be reformed. But when you put the focus on the spirit, now, now your body can do some things that are pleasing to God that you couldn't do before, that you can't do on your own, you can't do in your flesh. So, so all of that, you know, gets us down here closer to, to this passage. If we skip then to, to verse 16, so it says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Okay. And actually, we have to read verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Okay, now it doesn't say as many as follow the Spirit of God. It says as many as are led by the Spirit of God. You can ignore the Spirit's leading, right? I mean, you can be a saved person and have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, and yet live completely after the flesh and, and not be following the Spirit. But in verse 14, how many believers are the sons of God? All believers, right? If the Spirit is leading, and any, any believer that the Spirit dwells in, the Spirit is leading that believer, the believer may not be responding to it, but the Spirit is leading that believer, they're the sons of God. Every believer is a son of God. And verse, verse 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And then verse 17 says, and if children. Now, with all these ifs here, there's, there's two, there may be more, but there's at least two different kinds of ifs that are used in the scripture. And that we use just in regular language. There's an if that is a conditional. Kind of an if then. You say, if this is true, and it may or may not be true, but if it is true, then something else. Okay? But there's also, you can also say if when you're talking about something that everybody knows is true, right? Um, you, I mean, you see, you see examples here in this passage. Verse 11, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Does the spirit dwell in you? Yes. It's clear from scripture the spirit dwells in you. So he's not saying, when he, when he says if in verse 11, he's not saying maybe the spirit is in you and maybe the spirit isn't in you. He's saying the spirit is in you and if the spirit is in you, then God's going to raise you from the dead. So he says, if children, and you are children, then you're heirs. How many believers are children? All. How many believers are heirs? All. Okay. Then we get to the part that, you know, brings up the question. Because it says, and joint heirs with Christ. Now, an heir and a joint heir are not necessarily the same thing. Uh, you think about just, just how inheritance works. You think about in a, in a will. Um, if, you know, if you have a will and you take your, your property and, and money and you say, okay, uh, this child is going to get this much and this child is going to get this much and this child is going to get this portion and that child is going to get that portion. They're all heirs, right? They all inherited something different. They all inherited a portion. But, 
You can also say, you can say, I'm, I leave this house to child one, child two, and child three. And they all inherit it together. Now, usually what happens in that case is either they, they wind up selling it and they split the money, or, you know, one of the, one of the heirs can buy out the other two or whatever. But at the time they inherit it, they are joint heirs. They have jointly inherited something. In the first example, all of them were heirs. Okay, but they all inherited, they all inherited something, but they didn't inherit the same thing. In the second example, they inherited something together. They had it jointly. Now how they dispose of that is up to them, but at the point they inherited it, they're joint heirs. And so to be a joint heir with Christ would be to inherit jointly with Christ what Christ inherits. Now what's Christ going to inherit? Christ is going to inherit a, a, a kingdom, a position of ruling and reigning, right? Christ inherits, this isn't, this isn't just talking about eternal life here, but it's, you know, every believer is going to inherit something, but is every believer going to jointly inherit everything that Christ inherits? Is every believer a joint heir? Now, you see at the end of the, of the, the passage there, it says, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, just when you read that, does that sound more like a condition? Like maybe it would be true, maybe it wouldn't be true? Or does it sound like that Hena clause that, that you know, is true of, of every believer? Does every believer suffer with Christ that they may be glorified together with him? Go uh, for a good cross-reference. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. You'll notice the parallels right away here in this passage. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Okay, how many believers are dead with Christ? All. How many believers are going to live with Christ? All. Verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, are those ifs conditional or are they... Are they absolute? Do they mean sense? They have to be conditional because you can't both suffer and deny him. Right? He's saying some will suffer and some will deny him. And you see what he says. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. On the condition that we suffer with Christ, we're given a position of reigning with Christ. What does he mean by suffer? He said all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, can you be a believer and not suffer persecution? Sure you can. Just don't let anybody know you're a believer. Right? Don't ever live out your faith and you won't ever suffer persecution. And, and granted, there are places in the world where it's easier to suffer persecution. I mean, not that it's easier to go through the suffering, but it's easier to encounter it. You, you just have to give a small indication you're a believer and they'll persecute you. Here, if you want to get persecuted, you've got to work at it. Right? Um, but... The, the reality is, no matter what culture you live in or country you live in or where you live, if you're, if you're living the kind of life that the Bible describes and the life of Christ is evident in your life, there's going to be persecution. Now, it may be persecution with a sword. It might be persecution with a pen. It might be persecution with a, with a jail cell. Um, it might be any of those things. It might be a soft persecution or a hard persecution. But there will be persecution because... 
The world's at enmity with God, and if you're the ambassador and representative of God, they're going to hate you and be in enmity with you if, if they know who you are. And so that's clearly a condition. If we suffer, we'll, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. Deny us what? Eternal life? No, he'll deny us the reigning, right? There's levels of reward. Some people are going to be, re and the reward primarily has to do with a position of ruling and reigning in heavenly places in eternity. And every believer is going to be saved, but some are going to be saved yet so as by fire. Some aren't going to have a great reward. But you see that, I, I think what, he, or what Romans 8 is describing there is that there are some believers that are going to share in that reign of Christ. They're going to be joint heirs with Him. And it is conditional on suffering. Romans 8, it says, if children then heirs, every believer is going to be an heir. But you see, there's going to be some who suffer that offense of the cross, who suffer with Christ, who remain faithful through whatever, you know, whatever little or big persecution might arise. And they're going to suffer with Him that they may be also glorified together. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.